chapter 16. I want to encourage you to turn there with me today. We're going to start in verse 1. Good to see everybody. The Bible says this, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. All right, so bad start already. She's blaming it on God. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Everybody say, bad idea. Really bad idea. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. Say, bad idea again. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she, that is Hagar, saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you, loser. No, that's not in the original language. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge, now she invokes God, the Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, indeed your maid is in your hand, do to her as you pleased. And, and when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she, that is Hagar, fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. Some of you have those in your family. Like, God gave me a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and against uh, every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahairoi. Observe it. It is between Kadesh and Bered. Let's pray together. And Father, thank you so much. God, thank you for your love your love for every person. Father, those esteemed by the world, those rejected by the world, uh, God, those who seem to have great influence and those who have none at all. Father, your love knows no bounds. And uh, Father, thank you for this encounter that you gave to Hagar. We pray, God, that not only would you speak to our hearts today, but God, you would prepare us for the things that you have for us this year that we would be settled on the firm foundation of your son, his cross, the resurrection, his ascension, and your sovereignty over all creation. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat today. You know, if peace and love was the mantra of the 60s and 70s, we've got any hippies here today? Some of you, some of you still alive? Some of you hippies still alive? Peace and love was the mantra of the 60s and 70s. I think that... Justice and equality is the mantra of the 20s, the, the 2020s. 
marginalized, victimized, equality of outcome are all terms that dominated 2021. And in some ways, I don't think this is an overstatement, but our culture is definitely consumed with the concept of justice. And I get it. You know, I get it from a, a secular worldview standpoint. And the secular wor worldview kind of operates like this. You know, the idea is that we're advancing as a species, uh, that we're essentially good. And because we're advancing and because we're essentially good, we probably can do better than we have. Um, I'm not saying that I buy into that worldview because there's a lot that's missing in that worldview and there's a lot that's wrong in it. Uh, but when you think about it from that perspective, right, the secular mindset thinking, hey, wait a minute, you know, we're, we're advancing uh, and we're essentially good. I mean, at the core of every individual is essentially a good heart, which, by the way, is not a biblical concept whatsoever, you can see how people would get to the point where you would be thinking, hey, we probably can be doing better than we have. Um, there are a lot of problems with that point of view, and there are a lot of questions that are generated uh, from it. For instance, when it comes to a moral framework for justice, where do you get that moral framework from? Because it just can't be humanity designating value for humanity. Or another question that comes up is, you know, how do we guard ourselves from creating solutions that are potentially as unjust as the problems that we're trying to solve? Which inevitably is what humans do. You know, they create a solution to a problem, but that solution has problems in and of itself. Um, or, you know, if someone has had injustice committed against them, where does the freedom from resentment come from? Where does, where does forgiveness come from? Where does cleansing come from? Where does that burden that they carry, where, where does that get, or how does that get alleviated? And obviously, you know, from a Christian point of view, there's only one answer to all of that. In fact, the answer comes from a very unlikely place. There is one place where the greatest injustice was committed, where the greatest justice was demonstrated, and where the greatest freedom is found, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's an interesting just you can you can give him praise for that today. Look, I'm going to explain this more later, but it is an interesting juxtaposition. It's such a great contrast when you think about the cross, where there was such great injustice committed against the innocent one, and yet at the same time, there was the greatest justice that was demonstrated where, where he paid a penalty that we all deserve to pay for ourselves, but we could not pay that penalty ourselves. You know, this story, like if you just step back from it for a second, you know, this is a crazy story. This is a wild story. And this is one of the reasons why I appreciate the scripture so much because, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't hide the drama. The Bible doesn't hide the dirt. The Bible doesn't just prevent, present biblical characters that, you know, we're, we respect in a way where it's like they have no issues and they have no problems. Like this whole scene is really, really bad. Uh, maybe this year, you know, as you look back, you did some dumb stuff. It probably wasn't this bad, all right? I mean, maybe it was. But Abraham and Sarai really got themselves in uh, a really messed up situation. And it didn't have to be as bad as it was. Um, obviously, they could have waited and trusted in the Lord. They did not do that. They took matters into their own hands. Uh, Sarah had an idea, 
uh, we'll talk about this in a minute. It was a culturally acceptable idea, but it was a wrong idea. Um, and as, you know, obviously it began to play out, there was an opportunity for them just to stop, just to stop and get it right with God. You know, instead of things getting worse, as bad as they ultimately did, they could have come in humility to the Lord and said, you know, we, we made some really, really bad decisions. Can you help us out, uh, God? Can you give us some guidance? Can you resolve the, the problems that we have created? Obviously, they did not do that. And the beauty of the story is that God stepped in anyway. God stepped in in any way. You know, I think sometimes as we read this story, typically what we want to do is we want to look at Abraham and Sarah and talk about the failure of faith, you know, the bad decisions that they made and how we can learn from them. Today we're going to talk about someone who doesn't get a lot of airtime uh, in our Bible studies, and that's Hagar. Hagar was a nobody who realized that she was a somebody she was a nobody from a cultural point of view, from a social point of view. She really was a nobody. She, I'm not saying that, 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 I'm not saying I believe she was a nobody. But from her own personal context, she had no value. And yet, at the same time, there was something that happened in her life where there was this revelation, there was this realization that she was, in fact, a somebody to someone. And what's interesting is Injustice was the pathway to her discovery. You know, it was in the midst of all these wrongs that had been perpetrated against her that she had this revelation that in the eyes of God, she actually mattered. You know, she was a woman that endured a lot of suffering. There were a number of injustices that she endured. And this is kind of how the story goes. Like I would said, they'd been in the land for 10 years. Abraham and Sarah had been in the land for 10 years. Abraham at this point was about 85 years old. Um, and when I say they'd been in the t land for 10 years, I'm saying also that they'd waited for God's promise to be fulfilled in their life for 10 years. I mean, it's a long time to wait for a promise, is it not? Some of us have a hard time waiting for 10 minutes. I mean, they were waiting for 10 years. And so you can understand, you can understand why they became a, a little impatient. Uh, maybe as you look back on this year, there, there was a series of uh, things that you knew God was going to do, uh, and yet it took time for God to do them. Remember, when you're a Christian, you're on God's time, not your time. You're on God's time, not your time. He does things in his timing, and his timing is perfect. Inevitably, this year, you're going to be confronted with things that you're just frankly going to have to wait for. You're going to have to be patient in your impatience. Look, we're 11 plus 24, we are 35 hours into this new year, and some of you are already impatient with God. You're like, really, God, I have to wait so long? It's been 35 hours. Well, they'd been waiting for 10 years, and Sarah had this idea. She thought, we can help God out. We can solve this issue that we're having. Uh, Abraham, go into my maidservant, consummate that relationship sexually, and what we'll do as she conceives and has a child, uh, that child will be ours. It's kind of like a, a surrogate situation. And so, you know, I, the terminology that's used here is unbelievably offensive, really, when you think about it. Uh, the Bible says that she gave. She took Hagar, her maid. Remember, Hagar's a person. She took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her kind of like she was just a thing, 
gave her to her husband, Abram, who, by the way, is 85 years old. I'm not saying to you, picture that this morning, but that's just a, that's just a messed up situation. And culturally, listen, culturally this was accepted. This was considered to be a, a legal option. Polygamy was legal. Um, if you and your wife were unable to have a child uh, and you had servants in your household, it was legal to take that servant, servant, consummate that relationship sexually, and then when that servant had the baby, the baby would be literally delivered onto the knees of her master's wife, and she would lose, the servant would lose any, um, any relationship that she had had with that child would not exist. That child would literally be the child of the master and the master's wife. And so from a cultural perspective, listen, all of this was, all of this would have been legal, but just because something is culturally accepted does not mean that it's right. You know that today, right? Just because the culture says it's okay does not mean that it's right in the eyes of God. And, and this, was the, this was the pressure that they placed upon themselves. They didn't like God's timing. They surveyed their, their assets. And I just want to say that in, as uh, um, degrading as a way as possible because this was the way they viewed the people around them. See, it would seem anyway. They viewed their assets and they, they thought, hey, we can speed this process up. They took matters into their own hands. They took people into their own hands instead of trusting and waiting on the Lord. Look, whenever we do that, whenever we bypass God's plan, whenever we take things that we believe are in our control or under our power or can be leveraged to produce God's will without doing it God's way and waiting for God's timing, we will always get ourselves in a world of trouble. People are not assets that you can use to fulfill your purposes. You know, it's interesting, I think, uh, as you just consider this scene, of course, you know, Hagar, they, they picked Hagar up when they were down in Egypt, and this is a whole other story, uh, but there was a famine in the land of Canaan, Abraham made the decision to go down to Egypt, a lot of commentators believe that he was not walking in the will of God when he did this, he got himself in trouble when he was Egypt because he lied, he, he lied about his wife, uh, said that she was his sister instead of his wife. That's a whole other story. On their way back up to the, to the promised land, the land of Canaan, they picked up this Egyptian servant girl, and she became part of the household. And yet, in all of that, the purpose of God would have been at least for them to be a good witness to this Egyptian girl concerning who, who their God was, helping her understand that the polytheistic religion that she had grown up in was not the way of God, that Yahweh was, in fact, God. Instead of doing that, they committed injustice against Hagar. Not only that, but Hagar becomes pregnant, and she, she despises her mistress. She considers the situation that she's in. She sees she's the one who's pregnant, and then now she begins to hold that against Sarah, and Sarah's response is to treat her, the Bible says, harshly. So we're not sure exactly what that means. It's a very strong word in the Hebrew language. In some sense, she was treated severely. She was treated harshly. Maybe there was some abuse that was involved in this. Um, it was so intense that the, re the result was Hagar fled uh, to the desert. She was pregnant. She, she began to make her way back to her homeland, which was through the desert 
uh, of Shur. So just consider this woman's situation. She was a servant or a slave. She had no voice. She was forced into a sexual relationship that I'm sure she did not want to be a part of. She was going to be forced to give her, her son over and have no relationship with him any longer. And there was some abuse. We're not sure exactly what that was, but she was treated harshly. Um, and she did not deserve to be treated harshly. This was a lot of trauma for her to deal with. I don't mean the McDonald's made my coffee too hot type of trauma. I'm talking about real trauma, right? She's an innocent individual. She's, she's not committed a sin against anybody. I'm not saying that she was perfect, but she's not done anything to deserve this. Hey, when you're in that spot, maybe you look back on 2021 and there are a whole slew of things that happened to you that really you don't believe that you deserve. You didn't deserve it. You know, maybe this is something that you're carrying with you into the new year. How do you handle that? What do you do? You know, what I just so appreciate about this story is it's not really what Hagar did. It is what God did. It's what God did. What does God do, you say? God met her. God met her in the desert, right? She, she was loved by Christ, the angel of the Lord. You guys remember a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about celestial beings and, and spiritual warfare, and I was just going through different figures in Scripture, and one was the angel of the Lord. Do you guys remember that? And I mentioned to you who the angel of the Lord was and is. Do you know who the angel of the Lord is? The angel of the Lord is Christ, right? It's a manifestation of Christ before the incarnation. So when you see the angel of the Lord, uh, what you're seeing is the person of Christ before the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. I think it's amazing. This, by the way, is the first time that the angel of the Lord appears in the canon of Scripture. And the very first time he appears is to a slave girl, a social zero, Someone in that context who would have literally had no value or no influence. You know, as we look at this new year, there are four things about God that I want you to consider. And they're, they're all things that we see evidenced through this encounter that Hagar has with the angel of the Lord. Number one is this. He is the God who cares. He is the God who cares. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord found her. Now, it wasn't like the angel of the Lord just went for a walk one day and was cruising through the desert and, you know, found this pregnant young girl next to this stream, you know, in the middle of nowhere. No, listen, it wasn't as if he found her in that sense because she had never been lost. She had never been lost, even though she felt lost. Even though for sure she'd felt abandoned, even though there's no doubt she'd been marginalized to an extreme degree, she was never lost because the eyes of God were always on her. I just want to remind you today, maybe as you look back and maybe as we look forward, that we are never lost. No matter how lost you may feel, God never loses sight of you. God never loses sight of you. You know, in those moments where maybe... You haven't been treated like you think you deserve to be treated. In those moments, sometimes they're so difficult and you can feel so insulated and you can feel so marginalized and you can feel so lost that you wonder where God is. You wonder where God is. I love what the angel of the Lord says to her. He calls her by name, Hagar, Sarah's maid, 
This is a, a topic for another time. I do want you to note that he didn't say Abraham's second wife, okay? Um, he does not endorse that because the Bible does not endorse polygamy. I hope you understand that today. Even if a culture says it's okay, it's not okay in the eyes of God. He calls her by name and then he identifies the reality that he knows her circumstances. He knows her situation. Like, how relieving would have that been for her to hear that? I mean, she's isolated, she's alone, she's in the midst of a desert that I've been in myself, and I'll tell you right now, it's not a place you would want to be. Probably thinking that she's not even going to survive, and then all of a sudden, this, this angel of the Lord appears to her. She knows him to be God, because she says it later on, and he says not only her name, but he is able to convey the circumstances of her life, this social zero, this woman who had absolutely no value, God knows, Hagar's not only seen by God, but she's known by God, and God met her in the middle of her messy circumstances. Aren't you thankful that God meets you in the middle of your mess? Aren't you thankful? You know, there, there are times, there are times where I think we feel like we've got to fix everything so that God can show up. Like we, anybody, anybody here, you know what I'm talking about? Like you make a mess. You, you, you make a mess because I don't make a mess, all right? You, this is what preachers do. You make a mess because preachers are perfect. No, we, I make a mess too. How about this? We make a mess. We make a mess and then, and then it's like, oh my gosh, well, I want God to show up. I want God to, I want God to do something, but I got to fix this first. I got to clean my mess up so that, you know, somehow he feels compelled to come alongside of me. And the truth is this, God wants to meet you right in the middle of the mess that you've made. I mean, this mess isn't even made by her, right? She's, she's, she's a victim in all of this. And yet in the middle of the chaos and the drama and the nonsense, who shows up? God shows up. Aren't you thankful that he shows up? You know, he is the God who sees. He is the God who, who cares. He is, the, he is the God who cares. Maybe, maybe this year ended with a big mess and you're thinking oh well you know what I'm just I'm just I want to start over but I don't know if I can start over I know the year has changed but it doesn't really feel like it's new God today can give you a new beginning if you invite him in the midst of the mess that you've made and you let him clean it up you let him clean it up and this is what he does the second thing that we see here is he's the God who guides he instructs her he instructs her on how to address this very difficult situation that she's dealing with. She's wandering, um, from my point of view, most likely, she's wandering in a desert of resentment. You know, I don't, I don't want to overly speculate right now, but I can imagine what she would have been thinking. Like, really? Really? What the heck? What the heck? How could this happen to me? Why is this happening to me? Why do I have to deal with this drama? These people say they know God and they do this to me. Like you can imagine all of the things that could have potentially been going through her mind. And how in that moment her own heart could have been overwhelmed with resentment. Um, I know Pastor Jim last week talked about New Year's resolutions. I think he asked, you know, how many people had a New Year's resolution. I'm not going to do that today, all right. Um, but, you know, most of us have resolutions. I don't think that they're bad to have. Um, I have some for myself. I'll tell you getting in shape is not one of them. <laughs> right? I mean, it is such a typical one. It is such a typical one. And then you ask. You're like, man, I'm going to get in shape this year. And so for Christmas, I'm going to ask for the Bowflex. I'm going I'm to get, you know, some free weights. 
I'm going to get a punching bag. And then you know the Bowflex becomes a hanger for all the clothes that you got for Christmas that you're never going to wear. And, and then, you know, you just end up on Craigslist selling all the workout equipment that you purchased. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. I got a better resolution. How about, how about we make as a resolution, God, help me to be free from the corrosiveness of resentment. Help me to be free from the corrosiveness of resentment. Because, you know, you can be all tight on the outside and all messed up on the inside. You, you can get yourself in shape and look good and have this perception that you have it all together, but on the inside, you literally can be falling apart, and resentment is so corrosive. You say, well, what is resentment? Resentment means to think obsessively about the insults and injustices that have been committed against you. That's what resentment is. It's when your mind becomes consumed, and, and you know what I'm talking about. Those, those offenses, those injustices... Those things that have been said to you, when your mind becomes obsessed with those things, they're all you can think about. You know, and then it's not just thinking about those things. It's about the revenge and the vengeance and how, you know, you're going to deal with those people who have dealt so unjustly with you. You know, resentment like that becomes corrosive. And sometimes what we do is we just sweep it under the rug, even as Christians, it's like, well, you know what, I really don't want to address this. I don't want, want to deal with this. So I'm just going to act like it doesn't exist. I'm just going to act like it doesn't exist. And the angel of the Lord here, he gives Hagar counsel, and it, it is challenging counsel. But listen, he knew that her life wouldn't be blessed if she was just consumed with resentment, right? It does, I'm not saying today that you won't be blessed even when you might be dealing with resentment. But I am saying to you, when your life is filled with resentment, you will not be able to see the blessings of God. You will not be able to see them. You will be so consumed with the wrongs that have been perpetrated against you that all of the good things that God is doing in your life will be obscured. They will be obscured. And you know, sometimes what we do is, like I said, we sweep it underneath the carpet and we, we act like it doesn't exist. But you know what it does under the carpet? You know what it does? It festers. It rots. It rots. And you know, it's a, it's a big lump in your life that you trip over in every relationship. It's this foul odor that, that emits, that begins to bring dysfunction into relationships, which is why the angel of the Lord here gives her guidance and direction. And the guidance that he gives is, is this. You need to go confront the people in the place of your suffering. You need to go back. Right? He says to her, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where, are you where have you come from and where are you going? Of course he knows that, but he's, he's generating a conversation. And she's like, man, I'm, I'm on the run. I'm on the run, man. I am out. Because that woman, she's just, she's just something. I was going to say something else, but I'm just going to leave it with she's something. She's something, you know, and I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with her. I don't want to deal with her drama. And then he says this, he says, well, you need to return to your mistress, and you need to submit to her. And I would imagine she, you know, being confronted with God for the very first time, she probably was hoping that he was going to say, hey, listen, you know what, you're right, she, she is messed up, and don't you worry, girl, I'll, I'll handle her. I'll handle her. You know how sometimes, like, we pray for God's vengeance on people? You know, I mean, we can pray the craziest stuff, and, and then we can use Bible verses to justify it. You know, like when David is praying that God would smash the teeth of his enemies, 
It's like, hey, hey, and I've had people say, hey, pastor, it's biblical. It's biblical. I'm just asking for one tooth, not like the whole set either. And we got dentures today, so, you know, or, or implants. But, but you know what I'm saying? Sometimes, sometimes this is what we want. We want the vengeance of God when we, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to leave it to the Lord. I'm going to leave it to the Lord. And it's like, well, you know. What did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know, so, so her, her way of handling the situation was to run from it, was to run from it. And, and he says, no, you need to go back and you need to address it. You need to confront it. Now, let me just say this. This was his counsel for her situation, all right? This was his counsel for her situation. The Bible for sure does not ever justify continuing to live in a condition where, where you're being abused. And, and we're very careful when we counsel people because, you know, sometimes there's some crazy people out there that will actually use the scripture to justify abusing other people. And I'll tell you what, if God hates anything, that's one thing that he hates for sure. God, God is not endorsing that. When he calls her to go back, what he is saying is, you can't just sweep this under the carpet. You can't just run from this because if you do, it'll literally control you for the rest of your life. You need to go and confront the people in the place of your suffering. Unresolved brokenness and traumatic relations, relationships can control you for the rest of your life if they're not handled the right way. If they're not handled the right way. You know, some of us have had some things happen to us in 2021 and, you know, and the truth is that we're going to carry those things into 2022 if we don't handle them correctly, if we don't handle them biblically. Sometimes what God calls us to do is to take the difficult step and to confront the situation, right? To really be set free sometimes means that we need to pray, we need to seek the face of God, we need to have our hearts healed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to be walking in forgiveness. And then we need to go to our brother or, or sister before we offer our, our gift on the altar of worship. And we need to resolve that issue. Because, you know, God does not want you being controlled or defined by the, by the situations in your past. He does not want those situations controlling you and defining you. The Bible says in John 8, 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Yeah. Hey, he's the God, he's the God who cares. He is the God who guides. What guidance do you need from the Lord? Look, you got a situation that happened. Let me just say this again before I get to the next thing. Bring it to God in prayer. Just bring it to him in prayer. God, you know this thing. It's nagging. I've tried to sweep it under the carpet. It won't go away. I'm stumbling over it constantly. I'm pulling it out of the darkness, placing it in the light, and I'm asking you, God, according to Scripture, show me how you want me to handle it. The third thing that I love about this encounter is that she discovers that God is the God who blesses. God is the God who blesses. Like, who is, who is this girl? Who is her that the angel of the Lord would just pour out this blessing upon her life? By the way, the last time we saw a blessing like this was over Abraham's life. It's over Abraham's life. And now you're talking about this servant girl who has no voice. This servant girl who has been marginalized. 
the servant girl who's been victimized. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord is speaking an amazing blessing over her life. That there was, an, there was in fact, a future that he had in store for her. That her descendants will be multiplied. That her son would, in fact, be acknowledged. Listen, what she learned in this moment was, it wasn't that God didn't see, it was that she was having a hard time seeing. It was the resentment that was blinding her in this situation. And when the angel of the Lord began to pour out this blessing on her life, do you know what she learned? Do you guys know what she learned? Do you want to you know, you learn what she learned? She learned that God was in control. She learned that God was in control. She learned that no matter what other people were doing to her, God still had a purpose and a plan that could not be vanquished, that, that could not be destroyed, that could not be stolen, that could not be taken away. God was the one who was, in fact, in control of her life. And that she didn't have to give power to other people that superseded the power of God. I want to remind you of that today as we start this new year. Because, because the truth is, there is a lot that happened in 2021 that I would just love to push the delete button on. You know what I'm talking about? Like, hey, you, you feel like you're starting a new year, um, everything's kind of new, and then you have that realization that, hey, there's still a pandemic, right? There's, there's, there's let me just frame this a different way. <laughs> let, me, let me say it a different way. There are a lot of things that you would just like to delete. You know, I, God, I'd like to delete the pandemic. I'd like to delete masks. Uh, I'd like to delete mandates, because I don't like mandates. I'd like to delete the CDC from time to time. You know, I'm just, I'm just saying, right? I, there's all these things. It's like, I don't want to carry these things because it feels sometimes like all these things, in fact, have control over our lives. Now, this is what people say to me, Pastor, you know, how do you feel about 2022? How do you feel about it? You know, what if this happens and what if that happens and, and what about this? And I say, hey, listen, I'm not afraid of any of that because God is in control. God is in control. Just want to remind you today, don't fear the year, right? Don't fear the year. I, it's, it's interesting to me that, that Jesus, you, you, we look at the end of what he accomplished, but I want to remind you that the process was through difficulty, the process was through injustice. The process had the appearance that other people were in control of his life when they weren't. Do you understand what I'm saying? Think about this, all right? He willingly submitted himself to human injustice. And by that I mean he was condemned to death as an innocent man. If anyone was innocent, it was Jesus Christ. And yet he submitted himself to human injustice. Every scourge, every lash from that scourging whip... The crown of thorns that was placed upon his head. The nails that were pounded into his wrist and into his side. All of that was an injustice. The, 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 the statements, the offenses that were hurled at him. Being spit upon, right? He submitted himself to these injustices so that the full justice of God could be satisfied through his single sacrifice. Every time. Every time one of those things was done, it was done for us. The full justice that we deserve for our sins was ultimately the penalty that he paid for through his sacrifice. 
He suffered in our place so that sin's penalty could be paid for. The result was that we would be forgiven of our sins. The result would be that we would experience the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. The result would be that we actually would be able to be the temple of the living God. The result would be that we could experience the providence and the sovereignty of God over our lives as his sons and daughters because through faith we are adopted into the family of God. The result would be that just as he ascended to the right hand of God that our destiny in heaven would be settled and that we would have an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that will not fade away, that, that's kept by the power of faith for those of us who have believed. Man, I think those are absolutely amazing things, right? They're amazing things. But they came, they came through perceived injustices. No matter what happens this year, I want to tell you it is going to be an amazing year because God is in control. Hebrews 13.6 says this. Um, Hebrews 13.6 says this, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Can you say that with me today? Okay, I'll break it up into little bite-sized segments, okay? So you can repeat it. Here we go. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Okay, one more time, I'm going to lead you, and then you get to say it by yourself. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Okay, now you say it yourself like you believe it. Ready? All right, 2022, that's it right there. The final thing, the final thing maybe uh, from my point of view, the, the sweetest piece of this experience that she had, this encounter that she had with the angel of the Lord is in fact that God wants to be experienced. Just check out verse 13 with me. This is her result, or this is her response, excuse me. Like it is so meaningful to her. It is so real. It is so absolutely tangible. The Bible says, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. I just want you to think about this. Who's Hagar? Right? I mean, she's not, no, nobody writes a book about this girl. No one writes a commentary about her. Who is she? She is a woman who actually names God. I, think, I just think that's, that's so astounding that her experience with God is so personal and tangible that she actually describes him by giving him a new name. You are the God who sees and then she goes on to say, for she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? This is not a question like she doesn't know what the answer is to. This is a rhetorical statement. What she's saying is, you know what's happened to me? Do you know what's happened to me? I have seen the God who sees me. I have seen the God who sees me. He is my God, right? This is her me too moment in the sense of experiencing God. He is not just Abraham and Sarah's God. He's my God. It's me too. He loves me too. He sees me too. All bad English, but it's actually accurate in the Hebrew. No, I'm just kidding. I have no idea. He sees me too. He has a plan for me too. He cares for me too. He wants to bless me too. He is the God who desires to experience 
He wants me to experience him because he loves me. He has a purpose for me. He has a plan for me. I've been seen by him all along. And now my own eyes have seen him. Just like Isaiah said or Job said. I had heard of him by the hearing of the ear. But now I have seen him with the seeing of my own eyes. And what a transformation. Hagar's revelation was that her new identity was based in God's love, not in the injustices committed against her. She was somebody in God's eyes, and that became enough for her. She was somebody in the eyes of God, and that was sufficient for her. Listen, what are your eyes set on? What are your eyes set on? What are your eyes seeing? As you look back on this year, what consumed your perspective? What consumed your gaze? Because you know the truth is this, sometimes we set our eyes on all the wrong things. We allow ourselves to be caught up and consumed by things that may not necessarily be inherently evil, but they ultimately can distract us from God. Hey, we're 35 hours into this new year. What have your eyes been focused on? For some of us, like we're, we're not even... We're not even two days into this new year, and we're already focused on all the wrong things. I'm saying to you today that if you pray this simple prayer and really do desire it every day in your heart, that your year is going to be amazingly blessed by God. And the prayer is this, God, help me to see you. God, help me to see you. And in that request, there's also going to be the need for discipline. God, I'm choosing this year to set my eyes on you. I'm choosing this year to set my eyes on your purpose. God, I'm choosing this year not to obsess on things in a way that they have lowered you in the scale of priorities in my life, right? Well, I've got this thing that I'm focused on, and I got, I've got that, and there are a whole multitude of things that we can be consumed with and obsessed by. And then, yeah, you know, God's in the list. Are you guys with me? God's in the list, but he, he's not sitting at the top. He's not sitting at the top. In fact, he's so far down that we probably wouldn't even consider him to be a priority. If you want to have a messed up year, then live your life like that. Live your life like that. And you can feel all justified because, you know, at least he's in the mix. And maybe he's a rung higher than he was a couple of years ago. And he should be satisfied with that. And I just want to say to you, no, he needs to sit at the top. He needs to be at the top. He needs to be primary. He needs to be focused. He needs to be the one that your heart is consumed with. He needs to be the love of your life so much that you're willing to shut other things off. To shut other things off. To take the dial and to turn it to zero, right? Because sometimes the other voices that we allow into our lives drown out the voice of God. And then we find ourselves in the wilderness of resentment. And we're like, God, where are you? God, where are you? Where are you in all of this? And God says to you what he so often says to me, Derek, I've, I'm where I've always been. I'm where I've always been. The question is, where are you? Where are you? And it's like, oh, I'm the one. I'm the one who's misplaced myself, right? And the only way to get that back in order is to set our eyes on the one whose eyes are on us, are on us. Look, I, I, know that, I know that that feels like a lot. You're like, dude, 365 days of that? Like, you just, <laughs> that's, that's a lot. Just take today. 
right? Take today, because the truth is, you may be dead tomorrow. No, I'm just, it's a possibility. May the Lord bless you. Hey, you'll be with them. You'll be with them. I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not, I just opened a can of worms, okay? But I'm not putting those worms back, because we don't fear death. As Christians, we don't fear death. I'm not afraid of dying. You know, it's like your heart is the same as the Apostle Paul. It would be better for me to go, but because you have need, I'm, I'm anchored here. I'm staying until God calls me home. And so I'm just saying, listen, dial it down to one single day at a time. Make it your discipline. Start your day with the Lord. Open up the book, like the book, right? Not, not your favorite website. Don't start with the news, all right? Don't start with the news. The news is going to be there and it's basically not going to change. It all sucks, all right? <laughs> Open up the book and let the Word of God get in your heart, all right? Jeez. <laughs> oh, Amen. <laughs> Can we do it together? Let's do this together, all right? Let's do this together, and let's see what God has for our church, for our lives this year, because I have a feeling he is going to blow us away, all right? Yeah, let's pray. <laughs> and Father, we love you. God, we, where would we be without you? How our lives would be so confused and how burdened we would be. God, how lost. And yet, you have seen us and we have seen you. And that has changed everything. It's changed everything. We want you to be first. We want to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, God, with all of our mind and with all of our strength. We want to love our neighbor as ourself. And we know, we know that you are on your throne. Nothing happens on the face of this planet without it first being filtered through the sovereignty of your love. And so we trust you, God, we trust you. We look to you, we lean on you, we wait upon you. Glorify yourself, we pray. Today, as our eyes are closed and as we're in this moment of prayer, listen, maybe the truth for you is this. You've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. You've heard a lot of talk today about the power of the cross and the injustice that he endured and the justice that was demonstrated by God upon him so that we could be forgiven. But, you know, as you look at Christianity, it may be the the faith of your friends, but it's not your faith. It's not your faith yet. God wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you to experience him. He wants you to know his love. He wants you to see his purpose and plan for your life. He wants you to have the confidence of an e eternal destiny and 
today it starts by you putting your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who can really give you a new beginning. And he does that when you put your faith in him. When you say, yes, Lord, I'm trusting you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And I receive you as the Lord of my life. When you take that step, everything in your life is a new beginning. The Bible says, in fact, you'll be a new creature, new creation. All of the old things will have passed away, and behold, all things are new. Today, if this is you, you've never really taken that step of faith personally, but you know you need Jesus in your life right in the midst of your mess. He's not called you to clean it up yourself. He wants to meet you right now, and that's exactly what he's doing. I want to pray for you this morning. I'm going to ask you, would you raise your hand today? Just stretch your hand up high. You're just saying, I need Jesus. I need him in my life. God bless you right here in the center in the back. Thank you. And over here, I see your hands on my right. God bless you. Stretch your hand up high today. He'll meet you right where you're at. Thank you in the back, on my left, and here on the left. It's awesome. Anybody else? Over here on my right, thank you. You can put your hands down today. Maybe as a Christian, you know there are some things that maybe you've been running from. And they feel like they've been chains in your life. And you need that freedom today. You need the power of the cross to break those chains. You need God's guidance to show you how to deal with these issues. You just need a fresh cleansing work of God's spirit. Because the Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Maybe there are things that have happened in the past that, that still feel like they're defining you. He wants to give you a new start right now. So Christian, today if this is you, you just need that fresh work of God in your life. Thank you here in the front on the left. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you too. Awesome. I see your hands. Thank you so much. It's going to meet you today. I see your hands. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Father, thank you. God, thank you so much that just as you were present in Hagar's life, even so much more today through the cross of your son, we pray that, that there would just be a personal manifestation of your love and power upon each of these hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>